Living the Principles. This podcast is hosted by Latricia Smith and Phyllis G. Williams. Living the Principles seeks to expand mindsets, express beliefs, and edify excellence in hopes of building a stronger Black community. Welcome to Living the Principles. Welcome. I am Latricia, and with me today is my co-host, Phyllis. Hey, Phyllis. Hello, Latricia, and hello out there, Difference Makers. Today, we are going to take a voyage into a documentary entitled Uncle Tom. And as you hear that name, you may shiver a little bit at the name, but we first have to start with the true definition of Uncle Tom. An Uncle Tom is not a sellout. An Uncle Tom is not a person who does not like the black community despite being black. Uncle Tom, from the story, was actually the hero, but he was disguised sort of as a person who played both parts. So although we use this term as a derogatory way uncle tom was really a the hero in the story he really cared about black people and speaking of uncle tom another term that black people use to note sellouts is coon growing up when i heard the term coon i thought of people who mask themselves to pretend to be somebody else who weren't their true selves. But a coon is a derogatory term that actually came from white people. And it came from the 1900s with zoot coon. Are you familiar with the zoot suits? So some black people would wear the zoot suits to show that they were of a higher standard. And white people who and I say white people as a general statement, would call them zoot coons because they were trying to fit in and they still didn't fit in. So if you remember, we did a episode on self-made. Madam C.J. Walker's had an associate and he kind of dressed up a lot. So they would have considered him kind of a zoot. Now, I'll take that back. He was not a Zukun because he was a total opposite. He didn't even care what they thought. But a Zukun was somebody who dressed up and prancy around to be liked by white people. And the funny thing about it was white people still didn't like him. So it's fitting, but even that term is from white people. That's why you have to be careful of the words you use. Latricia, I know you were going to talk about the term coon and Uncle Tom, because it was discussed in the movie. What I wanted to say about the term Uncle Tom, and, and you are absolutely right, it's the term is misused based on who Uncle Tom was in the in the novel. When I was watching the documentary and the different people in the documentary, they were talking about some of the names that they were called. And they talked about, like you said, Coon. They talked about being called Uncle Tom, House Negro, Uncle Ruckus. 
Larry Elder, the one who did the documentary, he said that an Uncle Tom is considered somebody who has sold out by embracing the white man and becoming a, a Republican and rejecting the idea of being a victim, supporting hard work, accountability, and low taxes, and refusing to think of yourself as a Black person first, as opposed to an American who is Black. When I listened to that definition, I was thinking, hmm, that's not how I've heard people use the term Uncle Tom, because if that's the case, then a lot of us would be considered Uncle Toms as far as some parts of that definition, because we reject the idea of being a victim and we support hard work and we support accountability and low taxes. What is he talking about? So I was a little confused by his definition of Uncle Tom beyond the part about being a sellout and embracing the white man. That's because he did not use Urban Dictionary because of the word urban, maybe. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we watched this film a while back. For me, I, it was a while back. And I had to take it in bits and pieces. It was hard for me to get through. I would say I watched the first third of it, and I didn't watch the other two thirds of it for weeks because at first I was so upset about it. But as I watched it, I said, you know what? There are some things I like and dislike about this movie. And we did an episode called All Blacks Matter. So even people who have different views, they still matter. What were some parts of this movie that you liked, Latricia? First, let me say that I know that this film was a bit of a struggle for you. But honestly, I must say that I did. I enjoyed it because I like learning and I like hearing new and different perspectives. And the one thing that I learned about this film, because, you know, I'm always asking the question, where did the black conservatives go to school? Where did they get this information? And I learned in this film where they got it from. They get their information from Larry Elder, Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams. So I finally got that question answered. Now, to answer your question. What did I like about it? What I liked about the film is that I saw where we share some of the same things. And I was thinking about some of the beliefs that people have who are pro-Black. And I was thinking, well, some of the things that they're saying are very similar to some of the things that people who are pro-Black say. And so that was something that I liked about the film. Like there was this bit of common ground. For example, they talked about being independent thinkers. They talked about being self-sufficient. And that's what we want. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to think independently. That's part of the principle of Kuji Chagalia, about self-determination. That's what self-determination is all about. I think that is a positive thing. But one of the problems that I had with the whole idea of independent thinking is that they're saying that they want people to be independent thinkers, but at the same time, they seem to only get their information from one side. And to me, an independent thinker is somebody who gathers information from all over the place and then makes some decisions. In which I noticed that about one of the guys, he was saying how he was a Democrat and 
he was having a conversation with a friend of his. I think he had gotten saved and became a Christian, and he was having a conversation with a friend of his. And his friend told him to read the Republican platform. So he said he went and he read the Democratic platform and he read the Republican platform. And then he made a decision based on reading both of those platforms that the Republican platform was more in alignment with his values. I totally respect that because he took the opportunity to seek out the information from both sides and determine what's best for him. If you're just getting all of your information from one side, then that's where I see a problem with independent thinking, because it's almost like puppeteering to me. There were some other things, but before I go on to something else, let me hear from you. What was something that you enjoyed or liked or learned or something positive (laughs) from the film? Let me see. Let me dig deep. Now, there were some things that I liked because... Um, you know, the Bible says in all things, get an understanding. And during the first part of the 30 minutes, I told you that was kind of hard for me to get through. I started to say, oh, I get it now. You know, there's a saying people say, who raised you? And I started to understand that we are the sum of our experiences. And many of those people have had aunts, uncles, or parents who didn't see racism or race as a issue that could add difficulty to your life. So that is also why they have a skewed vision. So it gave me some clarity of how to just um, navigate different types of Black people. I like the outcome of it because I watched it. And I also agreed with a statement Candace Owens said. She said, if you're educated in America, you're actually miseducated. I'm paraphrasing what she said. But what I think our differences lie is she believes education is focusing on the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And I was like. I agree with her. There was a lot of things they stated in the movie that I did not know growing up. And I watched Eyes of the Prize many times, but I didn't know about the difference in parties throughout history. So I did agree with her in the sense of education can be a route that skews our vision. But what is the core of our, the core that drives us to me isn't our political beliefs. I believe it really is our values, but are those values because of money? Are those values because of Christianity? Are those values because of community? Because they had different reasons. So that's what I liked about it. And I do agree. We cannot be victims. It was one of the younger guys that said that. I'm not familiar with them, but he said he doesn't see himself as a victim. And I, I agree with that. If we, oh, this is what he said. He said, black people create a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I agree with that statement, not negating that there's a system in place 
that adds hurdles to our success. I understand that. But what he was saying, I agree that if we keep saying this, well, I'm black, so I can't be the principal of this school. Well, I'm black, so I can't be the CEO of this company. Well, I'm black, so, and I agree with that statement of his. So those were two things I agreed with was education is miseducation in most cases, and we can create a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies. Excellent, excellent. And I just want to go back on what you said about the experiences. And I probably should have said at the beginning about the spoiler alerts, because the only way that I can really have a good discussion about this is if I actually talk about the film. So I still think people should go and watch it, even if they get a couple of these spoilers. When you talked about that we are the sum of our experiences, it reminded me of some of the experiences that they talked about in the film. Larry Elder, he had talked about going to camp or he he had went somewhere and somebody had called him the N-word and then all of the other kids kind of attacked that person. He said that they were more upset than he was. So he had this support system that caused him, I guess, not to be so upset about it, seeing how you know, all of these people came in to support him. So that helped him to establish this idea that people are more good than not, I guess. And the other person was Herman Cain, in which even though I kind of cringed at him because I, I just, I don't know, I just didn't. Big arrow. <laughs> uh, and rest in heaven. I don't know. Maybe it was just the way that he presented his information. I just didn't like it. But the same thing with him. He has some experiences. They just tend to not associate it with racism. They just associate it with, okay, this person or this thing may have been racist or this thing had nothing to do with race. It had to do with something else. So let me go and get some more education so that I can get these higher paying jobs. So I think that whole piece about their experiences is is really important in understanding maybe this is why they believe the way that they do. When you talked about victimhood, I think that's another thing. They were talking about how as Black people were constantly being told about our disadvantages, disadvantages. I think there is this thing about confirmation bias. If we are continuously told about these disadvantages and then something happens to confirm it, then that just solidifies that belief even more. I think a lot of time it does go back to biases and racism, but I think we have to say, despite the other person's bias or beliefs, I'm going to overcome this. This is chess, not checkers, and I'm going to study this game and beat them at it. I believe that's what Herman Cain did in his explanation. In a film, he said, he went up to somebody and was like, hey, I, I ain't get this job because I'm black. Now, who going to say, yeah, yeah, that's why. Go to HR. We don't care. So the, they explained to him, well, you didn't get this job because the other person had a master's degree. I think he could have went about that a different way and um, probably inquired about the other guy. Can you tell me a little bit about your background? And then figured out some things. But. I think you have to have the attitude. This is chestnut checkers. And that was one person who 
who really burned my grits because I was familiar with him running for president a few years ago, but I didn't know a lot about him. And child, he said something along the effects of, to me, it seemed like he was saying he doesn't care about black. He doesn't care about white. He cares about green. And I think that's the heart of a lot of conservatives. And even in the film, there was one random black guy that said he's a unapologetic capitalist. So that was something I didn't like. I believe as human beings and as black people that we are tribal. So to put money above people, especially as we recently and are currently still dealing with hundreds of thousands of people dealing with the death of COVID, it is infuriating to me. And to see people that look like me say that over a dollar, over a dime, so you can live in a plush house and drive a luxury car, it just really made me so mad. And it seemed as if they were putting down Black people. I know you didn't go into what made you mad, but here I am. And um, (laughs) it seemed to me that they were the black face of white supremacy. If you replace them with another face, they use the typical checklist stuff that people who have biases state. Something about childless homes, something about education or not finishing school, something about dressing nice. It was all this typical stuff and not looking at the positive things that we've done. So that was something that infuriated me. I'm not going to say infuriated me, but burned my grits. And once you burn grits, you just got to throw them away. So I threw it out the window. But um, you spoke of Herman Cain, so I just had to get that out about him too. So what were some things in the film that didn't sit well with you? The two biggest things that didn't sit well with me were, one, they kept on talking about fatherlessness. And to me, they made it seem like fatherlessness is the cause of all of the problems in the Black community. Because fathers aren't present, we have crime. Because fathers aren't present, we have illiteracy because fathers aren't present. We have all of this stuff. They didn't seem to take into consideration that there are a number of causes that contribute to the social ills in the black community. And the fact that they tried to pin it all on fatherlessness is truly problematic. I really think this whole fatherlessness thing is it's a story that they just keep perpetuating. There is a level of absentee fathers in the Black community, but I don't think it's this big gap of fatherlessness. And I think that there are some things that cause fatherlessness outside of Black men just not being present. They're just choosing not to be with their children. Thank you so much for mentioning that. And it's also telling To me, because when people mention that, they often forget to mention 
the war on drugs in the 80s. And it sounds a lot like what was happening within the last four years. So even that was strategic by the government, some people would argue. And then the second thing that I thought about was like, what are they implying about Black mothers? Black mothers don't take care of their children. Black mothers don't care that their children get educated. Black mothers aren't trying to keep their children out of jail and trying to keep their children safe. So that was one of the things that bothered me. And then the other thing that bothered me was they blame Barack Obama for the rise in racism. And that was something else that was confusing to me. And when they first began talking about Barack Obama, most of them were Democrats at the time. Some of them weren't. I don't think Larry Elder was a Democrat. I don't know if he ever was. I don't really know his history. But a lot of them were Democrats and they voted for Barack Obama and they were all excited about him being the president. But then I guess Barack Obama didn't deliver what they thought he should have delivered. And they started talking about how there was this increase in racism, how they hadn't seen this level of racism before Barack Obama became president. And while that may be true, I I can probably agree with that. I don't remember seeing that level of racism either, but I don't think that Barack Obama was the cause of the racism. I think maybe him becoming the president brought out more people who were, were already racist. And I think Barack Obama addressed some of it. And I think They're saying, oh, because of some of the things that he said, some of the addresses that he made contribute to the rise in racism. And I don't agree with that. And you know what, Latricia? In the spirit of Coochie Chagalia and not calling people names that derogatory names that has been handed down. I do have a name for people like that, for black people like that. I call them ish people. I-S-H, indoctrinated, self-hating people. I believe that they are, some of them are vying for white approval. And if you just shut up, you won't cause negative attention, Barack. You're here. You're here. That's what Candace Owens said. You're here. So that shows that racism doesn't exist. No, that shows that we do have a system in place that should work called democracy. And I just call them ish people. And that's what that reminded me of. Like, you guys come in here. You come in here. Yeah, you're the highest ranking official in America. But come in the office. Be quiet. Don't say anything because you want them to know that it's really not about race. So, yeah, that was something that rubbed me the wrong way as well, because I remember when President Obama became president that people were putting nooses on his neck and putting it in, in the tree. He wasn't doing that. People were doing that for him and for just people to ignore that was appalling. So there was a lot of emotions in this film. What about the end of the film? How did you feel about that? Because that was like a, mm-hmm, 
And before you answer that, and I say ish people because I often speak about the racial identity model. And in the racial identity model, which is a part of sociology, it says that for most minorities, in the beginning, we try to conform. We want to appeal to the majority, sort of like with um, other areas too, like patriarchy. We want women want to appeal to the majority. We want to appeal to who feels to be the strongest lead, but they want to appeal to who feels to be the strongest lead. And then they're like, I mean, we really don't roll with y'all like that. So can you talk about that, Latricia? Yeah, that, that is so true. That is funny. Let me just go back to something that you said that Candace Owens said about Barack Obama being here that shows that there's no racism. And I'm thinking, okay, the first president was in 1789. Barack Obama became president in 2008. Um, Really? 200, that's what, 219 years? It took 219 years before we saw a black president? Really? No racism? Wow. Okay. Yep. Like I said again, too, <laughs> the black face for white supremacy checklist talk. But um, as far as going back to the conservative people not fitting in, how did you feel about that? Not fitting into the Republican Party? Yes. Yeah, that was the other thing. So I thought it was really interesting, especially listening to Carol Swain's story in which she had ran for public office as a Republican. She was saying how she was criticized by the Republican strategist for having her campaign office in the black community. And she said that she didn't get support from the party. And they told her not to waste her time in the minority community. Another person had talked about how the black community is low-hanging fruit for the Republican Party, but the Republican Party, they just don't court the black community for whatever reason. And I think they said, somebody said that the Republican Party just ignores the black community because they think that the black community is a, is a monolith. Yet, it seems like they're constantly chasing behind this party that doesn't seem to have an interest in Black people. Even if we look at our Congress, look at the number of Black Republicans in Congress. These Black Republicans, they're they're not just conservative, because I think you can be conservative and not necessarily Republican. But I think just the fact that they are part of this Republican Party who just doesn't seem to have an interest for Black people. And maybe because they think, quote unquote, the Democratic Party owns the Black vote, which is not true. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, they spoke of Democrats and Republicans a lot during the film. And it was interesting because in my mind, I was like Democrats, Republicans, independent, conservative, liberal, the cross, the rope, the gasoline is still do the same. In the end, I'm still black and I still have to think about 
the actions that a person will take because of that. So it seems like they didn't think of those issues. And that's the truth, Ruth. I always say, in God we trust, all others are suspects. So I don't support Republican Party and I don't support the Democratic Party. I don't think either party has our best interests in heart. So, Latricia, based on that information and our discussion throughout the day, what would you suggest would be the principal challenge? Principal challenge. Live them out. Our principal challenge for today is to check out the documentary and look at it with an open mind. For our next section, open your mind, hearts, and ears as we spread the good news. Not rumors, not rubbish. Living the principles, we spread the good news. Janice Johnston becomes the first Black woman to hold the title executive producer of ABC's 2020 show, Representation Matters, and especially in news. Retired four-star Army General Lloyd Austin became the first African-American Defense Secretary on January 22, 2021. For Austin to be confirmed, the House and Senate first had to pass a waiver exempting him from a law that requires defense secretaries to be out of uniform for seven years before occupying the top civilian post at the Pentagon. Austin retired in 2016. Congress recently granted him the waiver. Amanda Gorman performed the hill we climb at the 2021 inauguration. She wore a yellow coat and jewelry gifted to her by Oprah. Amanda's poem wasn't only inspirational and timely. She wrote the hill we climb after the attack on Capitol Hill. Not only talented and beautiful, she made history being the youngest inaugural poet in U.S. history. And that's our good news. We've had a full meal, so let's finish up with a soul snack. Phyllis, I think this episode deserves two soul snacks. Our soul snacks for today, the first one comes from a Swahili proverb, and it says, unity is strength, division is weakness. And our second one comes from a Mali proverb, and it says, no matter how long a log stays in the water, it doesn't become a crocodile. That's our show for today. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time, expand your minds and impact your communities. Thanks for listening to Living the Principles podcast. Be sure to visit us at livingtheprinciples365.com to access the show and join in on the conversations.